This weekend, we have been ridiculously blessed to have an amazing crew all the way from the other side of the country um, with us in no particular order. So Amy's going to be speaking this morning. Stand up, Amy. I meant this afternoon. I know it's what I, not what I said, but it is what I meant. Amy, this is Amy. Give her a huge hand again. So Amy is the, if you like, pastoral director, heart life director at Paradox Church over in Perth. Deb and I were over there last month, in fact. Um, and Brad and Lisa have been over here and we, we've met them. And these guys are like extended family now. We just, we really like each other. Um, and so we want to see a whole lot more of these guys. You can sit down for a second. Amy's like, she's got a payload ready to deliver and she just cannot wait to get it out. This is Alison. Alison, stand up. This is Alison. Now, Alison is the Australian director of Elijah House, which is the, the, the ministry tool and the organisation and the ministry tool that we as a leadership team have been getting trained in over this weekend. And we've been getting, you know, freedom, deliverance, spiritual draino um, as a leadership team. There has been lots of tears. There has been lots of snot. And um, we still have a few days of individual ministry, so there will be more tears and more snot, and we love that. And uh, Alison heads that up in Australia, and so we love her, and we love Elijah House too. So give her a huge welcome. And this is Rich and Jane. Stand up. If you hear them talk, you'll notice they've got an accent, but we won't hold that against them. So Richard and Jane are part of the team at Paradox. Um, they have been through the whole Elijah House thing. It has totally rocked their world. So if you have any doubt as to the stuff that we're getting ourselves in for, just ask both of them to just share the difference that this stuff has made in their life and what's happening. And they have just poured themselves out for us over this weekend too. So thank you. We love you guys to be it. Give them a hand. And... Without any further ado, now Amy's going to talk, um, we, we, she's kind of cramming a couple of sessions into one, um, which is why we took a little break and gave you some food and gave you a chance to get out, because we just want her to be able to really deliver the full payload. And that is what is about to happen. So, stand up, reach out your hands everyone. Lord, we just bless this amazing woman of God and we just welcome her as a prophet to our house. We welcome what she carries, we welcome what she brings. Um, and we just speak release over her to be her full self, to release over us everything that you have for us through her today. God, we just bless us, speak to us through her, and we receive her in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, church, for having us. It has been a very special weekend. The fastest way to fall in love with a person is to do prayer ministry with them because you just get into their heart space and then you see them as the Lord sees them and you just see them come more alive. So I have officially fallen in love with your core leadership team. Uh, last night, I was, where's Vaughn? I was like, I'm just still carrying Vaughn in my heart. I just love him. <laughs> so, you guys are so precious. <laughs> oh, what a precious weekend. So thank you so much. So today I'm going to be talking on uh, becoming family, um, and I want to recognise that the word family in itself can mean a lot of different things to each of us. For some of us, it's like, that's my favourite word in the whole wide world. For other people, it's like, that's my trauma zone, let's not mention family. Don't even know what that looks like, don't know what that means. And the rest of us will be a gr somewhere in between. And all of us have come from a different set of family rules, family culture, uh, what family looks like, whether we get together or not, how often, Christmases, Easter's only, or all the time, 
And for some of us, we don't really know how to do confrontation and conflict because our families didn't. For others, it's like, oh, we talk through everything. We share everything. For us, for others, everything's kept private. For some, everything's open. For some, family helps with everything. For others, family doesn't help with anything. Mum or dad does it all. Or family's been missing. But when it comes to the body of Christ, the Lord's asking us to be family. He's calling us into a level of family that I'm not sure we've even mastered or realized yet. Uh, I'll give you a little background of what family has meant to me. So I was born in New Zealand. Don't punish me. Born in New Zealand. (laughs) And as a three-month-old baby, uh, our family left and we went to Botswana in Africa. And that's where my parents were missionaries for 20 years. So I grew up in a mining town in Botswana as a missionary kid and as a pastor's kid. And the um, expatriate sort of community that lived there, so people from any tribe or nation that had come together to work on the mine there, it was like we had to just choose each other as family. Not one of us had a grandparent there. Not one of us had an aunt or an uncle or a cousin. And it was very much what like the church can be, where it's not just a natural gathering of friends, it's, okay, we're it and I choose you. So we chose each other, grew up in beautiful, wild Botswana, little tiny mining town where goats and sheep walk down the streets and donkeys come in your in through the gate at night if you didn't lock it properly and eat your lawn, and, um, and learned what it was for the body of Christ to actually be truly all you've got. And I'm really grateful that that was part of my history and understanding and experience of that. But when it came to high school, there was no English-speaking high school in Botswana at that time. And my parents made the decision that we wouldn't move as a family anywhere else, and instead we would be sent. So um, at different times, with our different ages, I've got two sisters, uh, we went to Zimbabwe, and we were there for our high school years. We lived with a family that just took in Botswana kids who needed a home. (laughs) So there were 13 of us uh, teenagers there in my first year. I think there were seven of us left by the time we finished. I remember in my first year of high school grieving my church family from Botswana because that had become what my family was. I remember grieving that, but learned to create a new one. I was part of a beautiful Baptist church there in Zimbabwe and got very involved. And again, we just chose each other and you were it. And we came together as family. I loved those years. But last day of high school, my visa runs out and I can no longer stay on in Zimbabwe because I was only there for education reasons. So then lost my, my next country. Couldn't go back to Botswana, didn't have a working permit or anything. And my parents um, continued on as missionaries there. So I went to South Africa. And in South Africa, I uh, went to a Bible college there. And the first year of the Bible college is when all the students come and you have to live together on site and you go through your heart journey. You do your heart journey before getting into theology so that you end up people in ministry who's got their stuff sorted out rather than just knowing all the things of the the spirit. So uh, 75 of us were there and there were 30 in my house, 30 girls, 10 in my room. How's that for community? How's that for corporateness? One bathroom. Some women are going through trauma as we speak. Um, But that was my favorite because I'd learned oneness. I'd learned corporateness. I'd learned you're my family and you're my family. And none of the 75 of us had a sibling, a dad, a grandma, a cousin on that property for a year. So again, I choose you was in play. And we had an amazing year together. The last day there, my my student visa was no longer there. So I had to leave South Africa. So lost my next church and my next family. 
And so then couldn't go anywhere else in Southern Africa and didn't have an education. But because we were from New Zealand, I went back to New Zealand and through the government help was able to go to university. That's all we could afford as a family. And that's when it became Egypt for me. That's where I really entered into the doldrums of my life. I don't have a heap of trauma from my, my, my first years of life, but as an adult, that's where it began to kick in. So as I got to New Zealand, I was still this girl who was used to sheep running down the road and donkeys here and there and everyone knowing each other and doing life together. And I got to a Western country where people were quite individualistic and no one needed to family me because brothers and sisters and aunties and uncles and cousins and so on were in play, or an individualistic kind of lifestyle where just being known wasn't as high of a priority as it was in the cultures of Africa that I was used to. And I was in a year, four years there in New Zealand across university, and I really started to get to a dark place in my heart. Some of that's displacement trauma, because I'd lost another church, another country, but I didn't know how systems worked. I'd never knew how to stop a bus. I didn't know that you press a button. Little things. Didn't know how to use a bank. I didn't know, you know, paperwork stuff and systems and things at university just went over my head. And it was just coming to First World was quite a, sh a shock for me. But had never had a job before because I couldn't in, in Africa because of visas. So found one. I didn't know how to drive. Hadn't learned that yet. So, you know, paid someone to teach me. And it was just such a stretching time um, and a, such a season of lack. A lack of community that I was used to. And then when I finished my four years of university, um, I didn't get a job in New Zealand. I was now trained as an English teacher, high school English teacher. And I got on a plane to go to Africa to visit my parents for Christmas. And I thought I probably might even stay on with them for a few months because I've got a bit of nothing left <laughs> after four years in a bit of isolation. Um, so I came through Perth, Australia, just to visit um, the girl that had been my roommate in Zimbabwe, and her mother had been the house mother. And as the plane touched the ground, Jesus audibly said to me, you're home. And so I put in an application at a school, which who, a teacher there had been a missionary in Botswana, had known me from Botswana. So she, she put a, a good word into the prime, not a prime minister, who leads a school. See, you're listening. Thanks. She put a word into the principal and I went on to Africa for Christmas and they phoned me and said, come and, and work for us. So I arrived in Australia with my 20 kgs and I started again. And by now, the part of me that just has to build whole worlds around me was getting really, really tired. But yielded to that and started again. Got to know, you know, my school actually became my church. It was a beautiful Christian school that I was working in. And again, it was, well, I choose you and everyone there to be my brother, my sister, my mother. No, I had no blood family in the country. And it was a, a very precious year. And then um, I started to make a community around me. And it was in a place called Joondalup, so north of Perth, even though I was living down south. And it was people who actually I'd known a bit in, in Zimbabwe. And they were like, oh, it's you, and reached out to me. And a particular family had a son that I had known a little bit over in, in, in Zimbabwe who was not living in Perth at that time. And he pursued me, and we connected for a good year. And he decided to move to Perth too and, and to marriage. So he moved, he came, um, and then I went on a mission trip. 
So I went on a missions trip to Thailand. So um, another teacher my age and I, and another gentleman and another man, so four of us, uh, began these trips from our school where we took students into Thailand. And we would stay in orphanages and in particular go and minister to leprosy colonies. So people who used to have leprosy, they don't have it anymore, but all their nerves are shot and they're missing parts of their body and they don't know if they're sitting on a fire or they don't know how to get food and things like that. So that was such a powerful time for our students to learn to think beyond themselves and it was very precious. Um, but on this particular trip, we were in a dam and swimming around and having a day off and then the clouds rolled in and started to rain. I was like, mm, we need to get out of the water. So I got all the kids out, they're all in year 11, and came off to the side and under a, sort of a little hut and this massive lightning strike hit. And I remember that's the sound we used to have in Africa with real amazing um, thunder storms we used to have there. And I was like, wow, and the, just the flash of lightning. And then it happened again and then silence and the smell of smoke. We just got directly struck with that second one, and it hurt, <laughs> but I came to fine. But that's when the, the students began screaming, and we were just tearing up their clothes and seeing all the burn, and they'd all been struck by the lightning. But the two male staff were killed, one not instantly, but the other one partially. Just a faint heartbeat they got from him eventually. And that began another whole road of learning what trauma is when it comes to that type of trauma. It took us four days to get everyone home. We were on the news, you know, by the time. It was just a horrific time carrying my, my you know, friend's dead body into the hospital and cutting clothes off students and trying to just work that through. And that's another story unto itself. But for me, the year after that accident was far worse than the accident itself because I didn't have a community. I didn't have oneness. I didn't have corporateness. I didn't have the body of Christ in the way I needed it. So I came back, didn't know systems, didn't know how to get medical help, psychological help, different things in Australia. So began that journey. But in the months that followed that accident, the gentleman that I'd been journeying with unto marriage, that ended. I lost his family and I lost that church and I lost the entire community. And so I got back to being just me in another country, nothing, no blood family, no support, no community, just an amazing job, which the Lord was so kind to give to me. And by then I had nothing left to generate more life, more family, try and find a community around me. I got to the point where, you know, you just methodically work through things when you're in depression and you're in the darkness. You just choose what you're going to do for the day. Master chef, seven o'clock every day for three months got me through. <laughs> but, um, uh, it didn't get me through, but it was very helpful. But just that routine, but it wasn't working. And it got to the point where I said to my parents, I'm actually not sure I can do another 24 hours. And so mum flew in. It didn't help, but at least someone was around. And that's where I just got into the word. The Lord just said, read Psalm 79. I didn't know what it was about. Got into it. And that's where he really talks about whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, do you believe that I can deliver you from it? Whatever the situation is in your life, do you believe that I can deliver you from it? And it began a long season of learning what do I believe in the dark, which is another whole story, another whole sermon, and I'm so grateful for the journey he took me on. But it still was, I need, I need a family. I need this. I need this. And I ended up in a church service out of a new church I was trying, and um, this amazing man was speaking on 
tithing and giving unto the Lord, but it was he talked about it in a way I hadn't heard before, and it was you would even cost yourself with what you give because you believe in the Lord. And I just remember feeling like I just need to, to in the darkness, just give everything to Jesus. But I had no money, had no money left, had nothing. But I had one ring on my finger. It's a beautiful gold ring with 10 little African diamonds that my parents had given me for my 21st. And I took that ring off and I wrote this little note. I give you, when I listed, I give you Botswana, I give you Zimbabwe, I give you South Africa, I give you New Zealand, I give you, and I just listed off everything that I'd lost. And I said, and I sew this into what you can rebuild because I believe that you're the God that can deliver me from anything. Psalm 79. And I stuck that in that tithing bag and it still remained dark for a little while. But then things began and things began and he gave me this little community called Paradox Church. And I was member number eight. And that's all there was. <laughs> and so we were just eight for a while. I started, I joined it the week it started. And I didn't want to join it, thank you, Jane. I didn't want to join it when it was the planning years because I thought, when I heard it was being put together, because I thought, I don't want to get involved in that church. So I'll just wait until join when I start. I'm now on staff. <laughs> but I joined it and we, were, we called ourselves the Awkward Lovers. It was in regard to our worship and how we loved on Jesus and how we did life together. We were awkward lovers. We didn't know how to do what I'd grown up with. No one knew how to actually look out for brother and sister and choose each other and do life together. We were sort of coming together for Sundays, but not knowing sort of how to become family. And I really felt the Lord ask of me, even though you're not married and you've had no children of your own and you've not had a family of your own, can you teach this community how to be a family? Would you give from what you haven't had and would you build? And I remember going, yeah, in my 20s, I didn't know what it felt like to have a net underneath me. When you actually live going, if I don't manage, if I don't produce, if I don't produce money, if I don't get through, there's nothing. That was my 20s, and I felt him go, but I want the bride to be a net to everybody. And I started noticing in the scripture how much he says, look after the stranger, so the alien, the person who's migrant, and the orphan, people who don't have family, blood family, and the widow, people who are single in particular, male or female, divorced, widow, I feel like that covers those categories. And those people in particular don't have what some people have, which is a supply of blood family, a supply of people to do life with. And I saw that I can't see, I'm in these different churches and I can't see that they've got to look out for each other in that way and to pursue the people who are migrants here and the people who don't have blood family and the people um, who've had loss and are, you know, widows or widowers and the people who are orphans, I couldn't see that they get the type of becoming family that I see in the Acts Church and I see in the scriptures. I don't think we've got it. And my concern is that we're doing family according to a different culture that's not kingdom culture. And I think there's a level of doing life together that we haven't even seen yet, and it will reveal everything. It will be uncomfortable to live at that level of connection unless we deal with what's uncomfortable. It will cost you everything. It'll cost you everything. No greater love have we got that we lay ourselves down for each other. And it's a type of doing family that really is laying our lives down for each other and coming unto death in areas of our life. So without assuming that there's 
one jot of an issue or anything lacking in this community. I can hear the sound of family when I'm here. I could hear it before I spoke. So I'm not assuming anything's lacking at all. I want to just talk about what I believe and have learned that a family that chooses each other because they've chosen to be a church family together, that it looks like something. So can I just work through some of what I've learned in what the Lord, the journey the Lord's taken me on, especially in my lack, and talk about what it could look like, and then we'll see where we get to at the end. Is that all right? But that, yeah, so I had always had a, a pretty good relationship with my blood family, but oh my gosh, in my 20s have I had to work through wounding because we lost each other. So I am aware that for some people their blood family has, has damage in it. My family, just as a testimony, this year is now all living in Perth. One by one, all the different countries we've been living in. And my parents, which I thought, I, I died to that. I died that I would ever have them back. But after 21 years, we're all living in the same, in the same town. Isn't that amazing? The Lord can do such beautiful things. But the miracle hasn't been that they've come back. The miracle has been the family I have in the church that I've actually got. And I walk you through that. So in the Bible, it is full of familial language. Not familiar, familial words that, that come up with family. There's moms, dads, we are the body, it talks about our body, but there's lots of fathers, mothers, you know, don't speak to someone in that way because they're a father, there's mother, there's son, there's brother, there's sister, daughter, there's so much familial language in the, in the Bible throughout, even if you want to do a study into that, that just shows that the Lord's heartbeat is that we are a family. There's a lot of uh, talk in the Bible about oneness. Oneness. Now, if we had to think of marital oneness, that is a whole different level of intimacy compared to this oneness and I'm not suggesting at all that there's a marital oneness that we have to live at but can we actually ponder on that word Jesus is like can they be one as we are one so Jesus Holy Spirit God there's a oneness between them a constant oneness and he's wanting a oneness here like what does that look like I don't think it means that we're one accord because the board decided, okay, we can have a coffee machine. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a, that we're in one agreement about an issue that comes up, although it's important that we have agreement. I'm talking about like oneness, like we're one body together. If we're all members of a body, if the arm's over there and the leg's over there and the head's over there, there's a bit of an issue. What does it look like if the actual family, if this has oneness, it moves with each other, it stays connected. What does that look like? Have you heard of the redwood trees in California? Really, really, really high standing, tall, incredible trees, like you guys. Tall, amazing, knowing who they are in Christ. And then the storms come. Does anyone know, can anyone tell me why something so big and something so tall, when the huge winds and storms come, why they don't fall over? Surely you can't have a skyscraper of a tree if there's going to be storms. How do they stand? Their roots, under the ground, the root system is interconnected like, you, like spaghetti. It is a bowl of spaghetti under there. It's arms, legs, it's everything intertwined. That's what I mean by oneness. It's a thing where the thing can't fall down because there's that kind of level of connection. In John 17, 21, it says, I pray that they be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, 
so that they may be brought into complete unity. What's complete unity? Like, what does that look like? What's complete unity between this? What does it look like for you to have complete unity? Does it mean lack of fighting? Or is there a whole level of connection it's encouraging us to move into? Then the world will know, that's supposed to be okay, then the world will know that you sent me. So they're saying if there's a kind of oneness here, the world will know that Jesus is the Messiah. Whoa. If there's a type of moving together as one member, constantly connected and together, they'll know Jesus is the Messiah and that God loves them. How are they, how's the world going to know God loves the world? They're suggesting it's if there can be family and people come into that family and taste his love in that family. The greatest commandment has two sides to it. What is it? One's this way, one's this way. They're the two greatest commandments. The one is, we love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, which means effort. Another whole journey in itself to go into that word. With all of our effort, we love God. And then it says, we love our neighbor as ourselves. So we're supposed to just, out of everything, be loving this way and be loving this way. What does that mean? What does that look like? Love can be an, an abstract noun. It's just something that we describe. It can be something that we feel. But love is actually a verb. It's a doing word. It's a proactive, active. It always has behavior attached to it and usually costs. It's not that I feel this, so I'm going to move towards you. It's I choose you. Love is I choose you. Every day I get up and I choose you. Every time I come to a home group or I come here on a Sunday or I see your face or I get a message from you, I choose you and I move toward you. I move toward contacting you. I move toward extending my dining table to have someone else sit at it. I move toward checking on people in the community. I move towards this. That's what the this way command is. It's more important than anything in the world is that we're moving towards him and we're moving towards each other. Those are the greatest commandments. So, if we, we all, at different levels, and this is not a competition, we all have a particular moving towards God that we're doing, a pursuit of him, a journey towards him, and that's the greatest command. And we're all on the journey of building connection here. Some of us might be a visitor today. For some of us, we're, every week we're at this person's house, you know, and there's connection happening. My suggestion is that if we were to move along that, which is the encouragement of love, we enter into what's called maturing love. And maturing love is in an effort that I don't feel like doing, I'm going to move towards you, Lord, and I'm not going to talk too much more on the arrow in that direction. But the arrow in this way as to each other, maturing love is, even though it costs me, I move towards you. Even though it costs me, I prioritize connection with you even though it costs me, I check in on how you're going or I'll just stop you and say a prayer even though I need the toilet. Maturing love is I'm just going to look after your kids for the evening so you can go out. Maturing love is I'm going to extend my dining table and have this person, this person, even though it costs me something. I'm not saying cost you everything. It's not at the, not talking about burnout here. But maturing love is growing this and I'd love to invite us into a maturing love. But 
What I'd like to get into is choosing maturing love will reveal us. It will reveal stuff that's uncomfortable with moving towards each other at a whole nother level. It'll reveal fears, it'll reveal insecurities, it reveals selfishness, not saying that's in the room at all, but it will reveal parts of us that do not want to move towards that. So we've just had a, what's called Love After Marriage, so marriage course that's been run at our church, very powerful, and just because I oversee the pastoral things, still single, but I was there journeying with our couples, it was a very special time. The encouragement at that Love After Marriage course was in the different areas they went into, it's a very raw, very real, very amazing course, and you go into small groups, we have to share your stuff with each other which is good. It gets rid of shame and pride, and their couples were sharing with each other. But an area they went into was, of course, the sexual intimacy that happens within a marriage, or doesn't sometimes, and a real talk and journey into all of that. They talked a lot about how the different needs are with men and women, but irregardless of differences, irregardless of brokenness, irregardless of what's going on, you get to ask Holy Spirit about what your intimacy challenge will be. And each couple goes and sits with Holy Spirit and comes up with a challenge across some time of the next month where you're going to increase in your maturing love of your sexual intimacy with each other. I've got a point I'm going to make to this. So the couples will go off and they come up with their different challenges. For example, the leaders of the course, the Holy Spirit told them 40 days, come together every night for 40 days. That type of maturing love was going to reveal them. And I'm not talking about on a physical level. It was going to reveal all the chaos between them if they were to actually draw a line of that's what intimacy is going to be. And it did. So the different couples chose their intimacy challenges. And I've just been journeying with a couple of them since. And this one particular couple, I just love them. They have said that their, their challenge was actually quite a big and high and prolonged one. And it has revealed them so much. It's actually getting so hard and it's nothing to do with the act. Because you know what you do? If you choose that, ah, oh, this is what's comfortable, this is how we're going to do connection is over here, you live in what's called comfortably numb mode and you're just going through the motions and you just know how to do it and you're, it's working okay and connection's okay and there's no big issues and you can just survive here and it's fine. But if you go, no... Intimacy is going to be over here, and you choose a line of intimacy that's going to produce amazing fruit, but it's going to reveal you, then everything that's between here and there gets exposed. All of their disconnect, their lack of intentionality of talking together, their lack of connection during the day, all of which affects intimacy later, has been revealed. They're like, we, we're not intentional at all in any way. We can't do this challenge unless we change everything else that we're doing. A challenge of intimacy that's higher than what you live at reveals you. Does this make sense? So, if one were to choose a level of connection on a church level that I feel the Lord would have that is kingdom, it's going to reveal us. It reveals me. It's revealed my core team, the pastors. It's revealed our church family. But we've been moving in this the last couple of years, and the fruit has been so worth it. But, oh, my gosh, has it revealed us. So, if you are to choose... Maturing love and a level of oneness that's uncomfortable, something that will get revealed. I'm going to go through a few different ones if you're a phone note taker or if you want to just ask Holy Spirit about it in your seat. Number one, it'll reveal independence. If there's a level of doing life with each other that's fairly corporate, seeing each other a few times during the week, popping in on different houses, calling, being known, being known, being really known. 
and heart-to-heart and any false refuges, addictions, hopelessness being completely known, then it will reveal independence. It will reveal if there's any self-protection. I don't like this. I don't like this level of connection. It will reveal self-satisfaction. Some of us as a coping mechanism when there has been an absence of family or there's been an absence of need met, we choose, I'll meet my own needs. We become quite selfish when we're married. In particular, we become selfish in a home. We become quite selfish people, but really it's a survival mode of, I'll meet my own need. And if we join a community and we've got that going on, then this coming here on a Sunday becomes about meeting my need and I come to draw off the worship and to be fed and that sort of a focus. And then I go away and the rest of the week is not revolved around whose need will I meet. And coming here on a Sunday... Someone with I'll meet my own needs doesn't arrive with who can I bless, who can I pray for, whose need can I meet today, which is what it would be if we were living at a level of um, intimacy. Does that make sense? So the I'll meet my own needs thing can just be like, ugh. And we live according to felt need. So some of us don't know that we need each other, but we do know what we feel like we need. So felt need is... I feel like I need a chocolate. So some of us know what it feels like to do that. Or I feel like I need to watch the footy that's on this afternoon. And we can connect with that feeling. I feel like I want to just do some online shopping. I feel like I want to check Facebook. I feel like I want to see my mates. I feel like I want to go out for dinner. I feel like I need a break. And we can be connected with what we need. That's called felt need. I feel the need. There's a particular um, home group leader in our church, this gentleman, I respect him so much, him and his wife, very close friends with him. He signed up to be a home group leader and to help with, you know, family in the church. But what I was noticing is that each evening it's just him in front of the TV or having a beer and just there's no connection during the week, there's nothing. I'm like, but you're a home group leader, you're helping create family. And we had a discussion and he realized he was living according to felt need driving home in my truck I feel like I need to just take a beer and watch a game of footy I feel like I just want to see my wife and that's it I got nothing left I got no capacity I just feel I just feel and the weeks are going on and there's no intentional connection with corporateness and he's realizing I live according to felt need but if we live according to felt need then we're meeting the needs of ourselves. living according to what the body needs and what we truly need is I'm feeling a bit tired but I choose connection I choose this. I choose to just give someone a call. I choose to cost myself. I choose to lay myself down. That's different from living according to felt need. Otherwise, we just live life going through the motions and then we're tired and then I need this and I want this instead of I choose this, which is maturing love. Choosing oneness at a whole new level will reveal a root of rejection. This is a big one. This is a big one that comes up if you're choosing I'm all in here and you're my family because the closer you become, the more if you've been rejected, particularly early in your life, if you've been rejected by friends, if you've had bullying, siblings have rejected you, parents have rejected you, father used to criticize you. If there's a route down here where you really were rejected way back and it's still unresolved, an environment like this will trigger it especially if you, get, you feel like you're overlooked or someone hasn't given you that attention, that thing will go off. And sometimes we can go, well, I just won't come often. And we end up living life according to what's going to be comfortable instead of just coming in and going, I choose you and dealing with the fact 
that there's a bunch of rejection going on that's been unresolved. It's choosing, I'm going to go to home group, I'm going to go to that women's hang, I'm going to go to that social thing, even though I get social anxiety. Common thing. Churches really ping people off who are social anxiety because this is threatening. This is really threatening. If someone hasn't been known how to be accepted in their own blood family and they come into this, it's threatening. So it can ping off uh, all insecurities, any inability to trust, maybe because trust wasn't built into you in your, in your family of origin, um, or trust was broken, or there was a betrayal trauma, um, it will go off if you choose to be in a, in a community where you're going to choose high connection, and you're going to have to deal with that. Any fear of man, any fear of connection is going to come up if you choose a level of intimacy rather than go with what you feel like. Feedback, really, really important in a family. It's loving to turn to the person next to you and you go, you've got a bit of chocolate on your face. And that's what it is when we give each other feedback about their behaviour. I just noticed you actually mock me a little bit often. I just don't know what that is. Can we talk about that? That's looking after each other. But someone who has a lot of rejection issues or someone who's totally insecure that who they are is okay, if they come into a culture that chooses to give good, you know, just feedback, that's the most threatening thing because they don't know that they'll be completely received and it goes into the rejection wound. But we don't avoid all these things just because they're in play. We choose oneness allow this to all be uncomfortable and revealed, and we work on this stuff. Oneness reveals. Just like that marriage oneness thing that was to go on for a long time, it's revealed all the gaps. Choosing high connection will reveal all the gaps. Worth getting rid of them. Another thing it reveals is our priorities and our values. For example, if we don't value that oneness in, in this family is to be one of the main things in my life, which is the commandment, then it will be a battle to fit that into our timetable. I'm not sure all of us could look at our timetable, me included, look over the last two months and go, was actively loving on God and actively loving on the people in this room a priority in that timetable? Can I see it threaded throughout the time? Can I see time with him and time with, he, with them all through that timetable? And if it's not um, um, a standout in that timetable around work and, and family, then it's possible that the oneness isn't a priority, which choosing oneness will reveal. Let's look at this picture. I used to um, teach year 12s as well. And when it came to exam time, I would talk to them about these three things. You can get a jar... I'd stand in front of them, I'd have a jar, and then I'd have my rocks, and then I'd have my pebbles, and then I'd have my sand. And I'd explain priorities work like this. If I just want to jam everything into this thing, let's stick the little things in life. So the little things in life are the sand, the things that aren't actually very important. Things like screen time, social media, Facebook, TV, shopping, um, wasting time. I... I'm an advocate for rest. Very biblical, very important. Rest needs to be throughout that timetable. But what I mean is like wasting time. Sorry? I love to shop. I love everything I just mentioned. But, 
but I'm talking to them about that they're the smaller priority. Then there's the middle ones, and that might be, you know, everyone has different ones, but the rocks, the rocks are the things that are like, if I had to strip everything away, I've got to keep the rocks. The rocks are the biggest values. And everyone in the room here actually would say different ones. Some of you would be like, work would be the first thing that came out of your mouth. For others, it would be family, of course. For others, it would be, like, I don't know, what are the rocks in our life? Are they supposed to just be all individual, or is there something that actually works for you and works for the bride? I'm wondering if the this way and the that way are to be primary rocks in that jar. If they are, what happens, that's the messy version on the screen. That's when you try and just dump everything in the jar, the rocks usually won't fit. And I did that to the students. I put the, let's put this, let's put this, let's just mix it all, the rocks won't fit. And so what's important will get dropped. This is what's important. In the word, it's like oneness and oneness with him. Very important. But if we just mix it up with everything else, they won't fit in our life. We'll go through another week and we didn't connect with God or with each other. The only way it works, and it really always works, you put the big rocks in, then you put the middle, then you put the sand, and the sand works all the way through and around the other ones. They always fit. So choosing that each other, that this is the biggest rock, it will reveal us because some of the other ones are going to have to move out the way a little bit. Is this our highest priority? It will reveal itself whether it fits in the jar or not. Choosing mature love will reveal any hearts of stone. This is another whole topic in itself. We taught on this one. <laughs> we learned about it over the weekend. And that's where developmentally and particularly if life was just hard or there wasn't connection from our parents, you know, not a lot of sharing of hearts or touch, which we're all designed to need, irregardless of whether we feel we need it, uh, we can develop a heart of stone. And scripturally, it says in Hebrews 3.8, do not harden your hearts, do not. It's got to remain soft. It's got to remain vulnerable. It's got to remain hurtable. It's got to remain hurtable, as you did in the rebellion. So during times of testing in the wilderness, during hard times, do not harden your heart. But unfortunately, as a coping mechanism for many of us, we've just become tough people. We just, lots of love and need and vulnerability and closeness, it just doesn't stick. And there's just a level of, I'm going to get through, I'm going to manage. We toughen up to survive this life we're in. And oneness will come against that because you'll have all sorts of lovey-dovey people who want to give long hugs and want to share and want to do life with you. And it's just, that'll reveal any hearts of stone. Big topic in itself. Inner vows build a heart of stone. It's another, it's a big journey to, to understand. But just know, if there's not a love of connection and love of love, something's wrong. And choosing oneness will reveal it. I want to go carefully through this one. Choosing mature love, choosing oneness here will reveal any previous church wounds. It will, because this now is a threat, because that could happen again. So I'm a church wound survivor as well, previous church, and some in the one I'm in. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite a few. So... Um, but I've been in that church that uses you. I've been in that church that will just take as much as it can take from you. I've been in that church that spits you out. I, I get it. But if we don't have resolved church wounds, we'll enter into a church and choosing oneness will be a threat. 
And we won't choose the level of oneness. We'll choose what is safe because I've got unresolved church wounds. And you're all adults. So what this means is you've lived a life sometime before this. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you've been in another church. This church will continue to develop and grow. Anyone who adds to it, unless they're a new Christian, they've come from another church. You're going to always have people coming with church wounds. Why did they leave the other church? Unless the Lord's moved them or they've moved country like me. Church wounds is so common. It's why most people walk through the door. It's because they need a family that's going to be safer from what they've just come through. And some church trauma, um, it, it is bad. It is horrific. But if we don't focus on choosing oneness and being all in, then we are letting that survive. We're letting the pain thrive. We're actually going to live a victim of it. It wins. The church wound wins. But if we go, I'm going to choose complete oneness and it's going to screech in here because this is still sore, then we can find what's screaming and come and do some healing and come and rebuild trust and clean that out. But it's choosing a maturing love and it's choosing oneness will help find all those spaces and just keep fighting until you don't have one drop left. Don't let trauma stay on the inside any longer than it needs to. Authority wounds are similar. Bosses, you know, teachers. If we come into a church with authority wounding and we don't trust authority, we will get into a problem with whoever's the leaders of the house. What usually happens is we enter into a church family. Oh, they're not like what I've come from. Those pastors and this authority is not the unsafe one I've just left. So then we put them on a pedestal even because like, oh, thank you, Jesus. But then as soon as they make a mistake, and they fall off and it actually adds to the wounding that's on the inside. We've got to deal with unresolved authority wounding and we've got to deal with church wounds for your sake. But oneness won't happen unless that, that grief and that trauma is worked through. But if we choose the oneness, despite the, the church wound, we can get it healed. Is that okay? I'm, it's taken me a while to work through my one from New Zealand, but um, we get there together. Choosing oneness reveals the ouch. Choosing oneness will reveal idols. An idol is anything else that we give our full attention and time to beyond Jesus, more than God. We can have an idol of ministry. Did you know that? It can be generational. Mine was. I had an idol of ministry and mine was generational. We can have an idol and it's just really dangerous. We can have an idol of self. I'm going to meet my needs and make sure I'm okay. And then an idol can be in a false refuge, something we go to to keep us going. We can have an idol of helping each other and oneness and corporateness. So let's not go the extreme. Um, we can have an idol of busyness and work. I do believe some of the cities in Australia have a corporate stronghold in play. What a stronghold is, is a belief system that beats all else. A corporate stronghold means that many people believe the same things. So to do an extreme of that, that's like Hitler with the Jews. All he had to do was get everyone to believe the same thing. And then that human rights are the same. There's been some good outcomes from lots and lots of these rights. But all these different rights that have come through, it becomes this corporate stronghold and what's allowable and what sin is allowable and what relationships are allowable. That becomes a corporate stronghold and everyone joins in the belief. There can be corporate strongholds of busyness over cities. 
And if we live according to that idol and that stronghold, oneness will be the big rock that doesn't fit in the jar. So be careful if busyness keeps you from this. If any type of, sorry, I just can't fit this in because something's wrong. And it's only when we choose that this is first, it will reveal that thing. It'll burn. It'll be ouchy. I'm not, I'm not referring to just a natural importance. Some of us, I know we're called to these other things that take up our time. For some of us, it's motherhood is like, if I even have two minutes to think of Jesus today, I've succeeded. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not talking about for lack of trying. But what I'm um, saying, I, I believe in this city there's a corporate stronghold. over, And, it, and if, that, if it's in play, then there'll be a spiritual entity behind that. Because anything we come into agreement with will have a territorial spirit behind it. And it is to drive people. And the Holy Spirit never drives us. He invites us. Like in this conversation, I can't, con- I can't convict you and that's not my job or goal or hope or desire. So please don't hear that. I'm going to go into the, all the positives in a minute. But Holy Spirit always invites us. And I feel today there's an invitation to choose oneness. He always just invites. It's never driving. So be careful of corporate strongholds. You won't notice them if you're under them, if they're in a region. But just ask Jesus, pull you out of that thing. Is oneness with him and with each other the biggest rocks? Choosing love. Okay, so there's like a seesaw, teeter-totter. What do you call them in this country? Seesaw. So on a seesaw, we want to be in the middle, standing on the pole of independence is on this side. And for some of us, that's our battle. Uh Uh-uh, that's not oneness. But for some of us, we're on the other side, and it's called codependence. And that's where we're responsible for everyone else. That's when we we don't want, come on, oneness, meet each other's needs. That's going to, I don't mean codependence. Oneness will reveal codependence because all the over-responsible people will start getting burnt out. (laughs) Because you're seeing each other all the time and in each other's lives and so on. And that'll just reveal codependence. So we don't want that. We don't want codependence. We don't want independence. We want in the middle what's called interdependency, which I'll talk more about. That's the root system. We want interdependency where we're leaning into each other, giving and receiving, and we're connected. It'll reveal what we call parental inversion if there's codependence. If you're parentally inverted, which easily no one here is, parental inversion happens when, for whatever reason, growing up, mom and dad can't be completely powerful people and carry their responsibility. Possibly one dies or one goes, one has mental health issues, one has sickness, one's in a wheelchair, one's alcoholic. For whatever reason, they they have given away some of their power and you attempted to pick up that power or forced to. And you become the one who looks after your siblings or looks after your mom or looks after your dad. And so you actually grow up with a level of over-responsibility that, you know, sometimes we just had to do it. And it actually makes, um, so that's me, because I looked after myself um, age 12 onwards in different countries. We grow up over-responsible, and then it adds a twist to our pastoral care, and then we get burnt out. So if you've got burnout coming through every now and again, a high possibility is in the root systems, there's parental inversion. A whole bunch of inner vows of, I'll be responsible, I'll be strong, I'll meet need. And instead of people, like I mentioned earlier, the independent person, I'll meet my own needs, we're the other one over here. I'll meet everyone else's needs. So we don't want to be that. And the oneness will reveal people who've got that in play. We just need to lay that down. Are we going okay? So another thing it'll reveal is this word called 
performance orientation. And that means we are really focused on excellent, performing, doing, 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 doing. God doesn't call us to be doers and doers. He calls us to be beers. We're a human being, not a human doing. We have this little silent rule in our church when new people come in is that we like, you're off duty. You just get to be familyed. And for some people, it's like, oh my gosh, you mean you're not going to use me? I don't have to join a team today. It's like, no, not for six months, not even a year. Just be familyed. And then suddenly it's like, I have to what? And they're like, I don't know what to do in a church family when I'm not doing. I have to be friends with you and you and be known and be loved and be family. And it just threatens everything in there because they're doers. And they're coming in and they're like, but I know how to do the tea and the coffee. I fired my best friend because she just was serving all the time and just not connected and not known. So I was like, you are no longer overseeing the hospitality of this church. She still thanks me for it. Because she only knew how to be in a church family by, that you serve and you do. And you get used and you're a, you're a giver and you give. Or you come to a church because you give financially. Whatever it is, it's mechanical and it's doing and it's serving and it's laying your life down. It's like, or just be known. Just be family, because that's actually what the church is supposed to be about. So that's some people. Other people come in. They don't have a design on making things and serving. They have a design on using their spiritual gift. And we do the same thing. Just be family. And they're like, I need to prophesy and get on the guitar and call down heaven. It's like, I know. Just be family. Be one. Oneness, oneness. And it reveals them. I don't know who I am if I'm not prophesying and doing spiritual things. I don't know how to have friendships. This is threatening. This is my safe place. For people who are highly prophetic, they have found things and I'm like, oh wow, they found this channel and it's their safe place, almost to a false refuge kind of way. And this is the biggest threat. So, but the people who come in and they serve and they do is, they're like, but I don't always know how to do this one. So they're just serving us on this level. And we do the same rule with both. Come into oneness. And it reveals, I don't know how to be known. I don't know how to do relationship. I'm just used to ministry or ministry, but not oneness. Oneness is most important. Ministry can come later. Be known. Be accountable. Be real. Be familyed. Have your timetable full of each other's lives and then we can talk about ministry is sort of what we do in our family and it's created oneness. If, if there is um, an unhealthy framework in your private life about how to do confrontation, then oneness will really threaten that because people provide confrontation, don't they? Because they're all not whole. And the threatening thing of someone who's grown up with a mother who screams when she's angry or a dad who throws things or no one does confrontation in our family. There's just silence. And you just pick up what's going on because it's silence until everyone's talking again. There's different things we've all come from and we come into a church family and we don't know how to do this beautiful, glorious word called confrontation, which we talk about in our church family lots. The three things we can sometimes do from our family of origin, probably not all of, you know, many of us, but some of us, we can either be aggressive. So if we're angry, we say something. I can't believe you just did that. And da 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 because we learned aggressiveness. For some of us, we are passive. There's just no mention of my issue with you, and I'm just going to suffer and forgive. And forgiveness can sometimes be passivity if it's all we do. 
forgiveness and give some feedback and work it out and be closer. So then we just become this community that this is not you. Some churches, we manage people. Oh, she's tricky and she's got stuff going on and she wants to minister. Okay, we'll put you on this team or we'll do that, but we'll just shuffle you here. And how are we going to work around this person who's tricky? And we manage tricky people and people with stuff going on and people that are, and we just manage them and they know they're being managed and no one's saying the truth. We just had this beautiful woman in our church who's just like, but why won't you let me on the worship team? So I sat with her and I went, actually, this is in play. And she's not been with us too long. And I shared what I saw was in her heart and it was open doors even spiritually. And I said, but I will cost myself and let's do even three days of prayer ministry together. And we did that journey and set her free. And she's like, no one's told me that. And four churches haven't let me on their, on their worship team. Four. Isn't that sad that the body of Christ won't just go, not only will I give you feedback, but I'm going to walk you through it. It's like we just manage people. It's called passivity. Or we're passive aggressive. We're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I'm going to forgive you. And then to our friend, and then just, and did you know? And she's like this. And that's a passive aggressive. That's, I'm treating you as if it's okay, but I'm actually really annoyed by this. And the Lord would have us have a framework in this family that's healthy confrontation, that's biblical. So we talk about this lots in our church because almost every family never learnt this. And most families are threatened even by the word confrontation. So number one, as a rule, don't think of it as a confrontation. Think of it as a conversation. Confrontation only has to happen later when the conversations aren't going anywhere. But the scripture says this is how you do it. So here's the key. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister, see the familial language? We're a family. If your brother or sister sins, it doesn't even say against you. So if you see that they're just, there's stuff coming out of their heart or they're into stuff, go and point out their fault. Not to the world. Not to the pastors. Not to the home group leader. What does it say? Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. It says go to them directly. If they listen to you, you've gained a brother back. And then it goes into, and if they don't listen to you, then bring another person. And if they still don't listen, bring in, you know. How many of us have learned if someone's offended you, if someone's hurt you, go speak to them one-on-one and have a conversation. I just need to let you know when you said that, it really, that really actually stung. Is that what you meant? I just want to let you know, I see that you're involved in that relationship and I just would love to chat with you. How many of us go one-to-one first? If we had to look back of the people in this community or in our lives that we're having a tricky dynamic with, do we go to someone else? That's not of God. And it feels so spiritual. I'll just talk to the leader about it and I'll just talk to you and we'll pray about it. Biblically, it has to be. We've got this little rule that's starting to come in in a good way, like a good rule, like a boundary, like a healthy one in our community, where if someone is like, I'm just really hurt about blah, 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 cool. So you've got till tomorrow to talk to them about it, and then I'll keep you accountable to that. Or I'm just, they just said that to me. Have you spoken to them about it? Well, no, cool. Well, I can't have this conversation with you. You have to, if you're not the one, if you're the listener, you're, you're, involving yourself in unrighteousness if you keep that conversation going. 
you've got to just go, I can't talk to you this about it because you haven't spoken to them. Now, if that person's dangerous, volatile, unsafe, I think it's okay to skip to the do two people, you know, bring someone else in if you know they're not going to listen. But I think oneness that involves speaking one-on-one whenever we have an issue will reveal us. It reveal fears of confrontation that we grew up with. See how oneness reveals? But we need to choose a framework of confrontation that's godly. We don't just manage people. Lastly, and not to make any comment on you at all, but oneness will reveal unsafe leaders. Some of us have been under unsafe leaders, but if we could still choose, irregardless of whether they deserve our trust, because I'm a member of a church family, I'm going to choose oneness. It will reveal if you are under a leader at any time that wants to use the people and have them serve their ministry and take money, and it'll reveal leaders who aren't also having prayer ministry or whose marriages aren't working. If you just go, but irregardless of the leadership, I'm going to choose oneness. It will reveal if some of the issues are at the top. So don't worry about that. Just honor the Lord and do the oneness. That's his command. It will reveal unresolved childhood wounds and life traumas. Oneness and choosing deep corporateness, will, there will be triggers that will come through because family represents family but go after them get rid of them and you'll start entering into a type of oneness that is just worth everything and I mentioned earlier it will reveal that if we don't know how to go after orphans aliens foreigners and widows the maturing love of I choose you builds oneness in each 24-hour day is there an I choose you moment when it comes to this community think about the last seven days Was any I choose you when it came to this community in your timetable or in your phone history? Does it show there's oneness? What does maturing love build? This one's shorter. This one's positive. This is the fruit of maturing love. This is what I'm going to finish with. Choosing each other will build oneness. Choosing each other will build interdependence. Remember the seesaw? We do not want to be independent. Something's wrong if we're independent. We don't want to choose codependency and just burn out by looking after each other all the time. But interdependency gets built when we choose you're it. You're it. It builds corporateness and it builds family. Do you know that family is a word, but it, the, the reality of family doesn't happen without action. It actually is an empty box. You need to put things in. You need to use what we call intentionality. We use that word so much in our church. The only way to have oneness is intentionality. It's got to be intentional daily that we're moving towards each other. Because if we just do nothing, we will all slide to our corners. We just will. Unless we choose each other and connect and phone, we will slide to our different corners if we just do nothing. It takes um, intentionality. It builds security. I walk around feeling secure as a person because of the healing that's happened because of the oneness. If we've lacked security growing up, me, if we've lacked security, we can have things built back into us by a corporate community that's church, the church. It builds trust into us. We learn to trust. In our church, we have men going after Men, whether they're older or younger, they're like, I'm going to father you. I'm going to father you. It's something that all the men just go. And on Father's Day, we're very careful not to celebrate just biological being a dad. Mother's Day, we never celebrate 
biological moms. We've never had from the beginning of our church in eight years. We always use the opportunity to honor you are called to be a father in a house. You are called to be a mother in a house. And we equip on what that looks like. Every man in this room has the anointing to father the men and women in this church. Even if a woman sitting next to you is older than you, you can do healing by just pouring fatherhood into her, even if she's 70. If you're a woman in this church, you're called to be a mother, even if you're 16. If you're 42, if you're 80, if you've had biological children or not, your calling in a church body is to be a mother. And there's people in this room who've never known what a mother, to have a mother is, or they've had a bad example, and the parts of their heart that need nurturing is still not, it's still weak and floppy. But if the women would rise up and go, when every time you arrive here, so my mom job is on. And as you go through your week, so I'm a spiritual mom in the house, what does that look like? Mother, I mother all day long, irregardless of my desire to have children still being unmet. I live verb doing word of love, mothering. You have an anointing to be a mother or a father if you're in this community. It comes with being family. So go after each other and build back in that trust. Being one builds restoration of relationships. It builds up what has been missing even out there. It builds heals heart because it reveals brokenness. Remember I said corporateness reveals brokenness. So choosing oneness will start to heal that when you get close to where the ouchy is, when you're like, I don't want to be here. This is too close. It heals hearts. Giving feedback to each other ensures righteousness. We don't know where we're out of line unless someone's in our face. I love you, brother, but did you know? I just, I feel like there's a spirit of offense in you. I can feel it when I'm around you. It's in your facial expression. We should be able to do that with each other. It's a protection against unrighteousness. And it should be safe to have those conversations. Oneness provides accountability. And I'm not even just talking about private sins and false refuges. Accountability to be pursuing him more, moving towards him. Accountability on your, just your character and how you're being as a husband and how you're being as a wife. When you've got people inside your marriage, like they know where you're at, or in your parenting and they know the dysfunction, that's called family and it's a good thing because you'll be called up higher. It's a protection against shame when you're known. And if things aren't going well in your family life and in your marriage, you can come under shame and then you hide people from it. Then you just live in this thing that's not really working very well for, for long. And then you try hard when you see people. And it just protects shame if there's disconnect. Oneness means you know that we battle. You know that families are battle. You know that I'm battling in my singleness. You know that I'm battling with managing my sexuality. You know that I am overeating because we're known. We see all and it's okay, and it's safe, and you're loved, and let's help you through this. It provides accountability. It's a protection against sin. And shame and denial, which is pretending things aren't dysfunctional, can't live inside a, a, the brackets of oneness. Glorious things come out of oneness. You become the people you never thought you could be. You, be, you do the things you never thought you could do, and your, your home life becomes thriving, irregardless of how hopeless it looks. And maturing love ensures power starts coming out of this church. So it becomes a spiritual powerhouse. The stuff that your church is called to do in this region begins to really shift because the, where there is unity, the Lord commands a blessing. So if there's oneness, what did that scripture say? People will know there's Jesus and that he loves them. 
you knowing each other, calling each other, confessing stuff, hugging each other will bring believers to Christ. That's how it works. It's oneness is such a key. It means you'll have dominion in this area if your relationships are, are close. It's weird. It means you'll have fruit to give away. You can only give to other churches and give to this region what you have in your own garden. But if your garden isn't full of oneness here and oneness there, which is the greatest commandment, then when it comes to being the church, what have you got to give away? We've stayed private, our church. We're not, there's not even a sign. There never has been. We've stayed private until we've got fruit in our own garden. I can only stand here saying this because we've built family and the fruit that's coming got over 100 people now and there's oneness. How do you keep oneness when the church keeps growing? Do you know of massive churches where everyone who walks in feels known? It's often lost. You keep oneness by it not being something that just the pastors believe in. And every single member of the church has to believe in, in its value. It has to become the priority of every single person. And it's the only way to ensure the culture carries on. Because the culture polices itself. People who are helping build the culture. The, the pulpit shouldn't be what's creating culture. Your lives against your, each other is what creates the culture. And it's only if every single person believes that this is the most important rock, and, and it is biblically, and that time with God and pursuing him is the, most, the other important rock. It's only if they're in the base of your time frame and your timetable and your diary that it'll carry on. You can have 200 people and people will feel known. It's miraculous because there's just keys that make family work. And it's only if each individual picks it up and goes, I will, I will do this too but then you'll have fruit to give away. It will cost you everything. My closing remark, oneness will cost you everything. And I think that's why Jesus asked for it. He, he, he did it. He cost, he, he, cost himself, he cost himself to not have a wife and to not have kids so that he could have oneness with you. He cost himself not having his own home so he could have oneness with you. He cost himself not living past 33. When I turned 34, I wept. I went, I get to have something he didn't. And he cost himself so many things. He chose uncomfortable things, even death on the cross, so that you could have oneness with him. Like, that is love. That's what he's wanting us to do with each other. And now he's asking the same of you. Will you cost yourself to have connection with me? He's asking. I feel, I felt him since the marriage course asking me to do it a challenge, but a spirituality one. What over a month would I do every day that will reveal where my oneness isn't there with him? A spiritual challenge with him that'll cost me really getting up earlier and, and really seeing how the things in my life aren't going towards oneness. And I feel like he's inviting you to individually take on a bit of a connection challenge here, but to ask him what that looks like individually for you. What do you want me to do individually as a, as a community challenge that'll reveal where this isn't actually comfortable for me and this costs me? It'll cost you everything. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no man than this, than a man laid life, his life down for a friend. 
It's going to cost us. It will reveal us and it will kill our flesh to do oneness. But I can't explain the resurrection side. It is amazing. The type of running together, knowing each other, the, the, the impact we're having in the region because of oneness. And I just love my life, which is new for me. My, I had 15 years of such deep darkness. But I'm like, really? I get to have this? I've got the biggest family I've ever had. I'm so known. I live on my own. I'm single. I have no family. And I didn't until recently. And I've not been lonely. I'm, I'm known. I'm loved. I'm like, it just, the glory that comes from oneness, I can't explain. You'll be like, this is my favorite place. Can't believe we nearly missed it. It's just beautiful. I really encourage you, if there's any area your oneness could grow, go after it. Let it reveal what's in there and taste the glory of heart on heart, heart on heart, trust, trust, running together. It is beautiful. Can I pray? Is that all right? Good. <laughs> um, yeah, I just lift off any false accusation or shame or telling me what I'm not. That is not who I am and it is not who he is. I'm excited for you. We're part of the Heart Rev churches and the churches are taking this on. Family, family, family. So as an act of our will... Do you mind if we just stand and hold hands across aisles and everywhere and just look behind you in case there's someone or a visitor or someone who came alone? Come closer forward, maybe. Yeah, Jesus, we come before the man who chose cost. And we come before you, Lord, the one who designed oneness. You chose that it would be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You chose oneness because there's a, a higher outcome. There's a glory. There's a higher purpose. There's a beauty. So we thank you for all three of you. We thank you for your oneness. And then you chose that we would have oneness with Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for that arrow that goes up, that, that, that we can have maturing love with you, Jesus. And I just ask that you would show us how to do that. Show us how to be hungry again or more hungry than we are. Show us, Lord, the depth of oneness with you that could increase. Lord, help that gap become smaller. But, Lord, I also ask more than anything that today, Lord, that you would just speak to us about our oneness. Either we're standing here thankful for what we've got. Lord, I felt the familiness in the room in that short break. I know it exists here and my heart sings. But Father, I just ask for the grace. It's only by you that we can do anything, not by forcing ourselves. And it's by your grace. I ask that you would grace this church with, with a deeper hunger for oneness. Father, that you would lift off the fear attached to that or you would lift off trauma from past stuff attached to that or you would help them to get outside of the, any corporate strongholds that might be hanging over them, Lord, that are keeping them distracted and busy and driven and responsible and missing out on oneness with you and each other. I pray, Jesus, that you would just take authority over anything that would divide. Father, the fear of being seen and known. For some people, being grafted in is the most scary thing. 
They know how to serve. They know how to minister. But to be grafted in, to be cut right open and be seen and known, to be familyed, that's a, I don't know how to do that. Jesus, would you just come with your grace and continue to make it safe here and show them how. Ask for your mercy and your grace, Lord, that you would just show people how to, how to be safe people to each other. And to realize that it's everybody's responsibility to, to, to just take another step closer to each other. Father, I pray a blessing over the root system in this church, Lord, that redwood trees that each can be, Lord, that system underneath of entanglement in all the right ways. Jesus, would you just lead people to the right healthy friendships in this group? Would you develop friendships? Would you bless friendships? I pray, Lord, that you would give people that permission to express need. Some people don't know that bringing a need is okay, that having a need is okay. And to bring need to each other, to text need to each other, to call need to each other, to invite need in, to be weak with each other, to be vulnerable. And Lord, would you raise up mothers and fathers in this community, Father, every age group that can just go and pour in, that can drop in at a house and bring some food, that can walk past someone and say, can I just bless you? that can call out identity in each other, that can pour in trust and love, that can just affirm and see and raise up and journey alongside. Father, I pray that you would lift off any shame of any addictions in this room. Anyone who has private or even known addictions, Jesus, would you just lift off the shame of that? We just thank you that your light can get into that thing. We just thank you, Lord, for openness with each other and your light and your hope into all those areas. Those addictions keep us away from oneness. So, Father, I just know you want to go after those things, but it often is through oneness that, that those things can be resolved. Would you just create a barrier against shame here in the name of Jesus? Father, I just bless everyone's personal needs. There's people here, Lord, that marriage is just a trauma, or they're here and their partner doesn't come. There's people here with unmet need at home. There's people here, Lord, who don't have any blood family in this region. Father, I just pray for just a blessing over there that their need would be met by you and by each other and that it would be safe to communicate it here and take it to each other. I pray a blessing over their oneness, Lord. It's the key to the region. It's the key to the region. It's the foundation and then all the other things, all the ministry tools, all of the spiritual warfare tools, all of the knowing how to go after a spiritual stronghold, all of that builds on a foundation. We can't go anywhere we cannot go anywhere without oneness. And that's how you designed it to be. So I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for their oneness. And I bless the growth of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your trust. I know I went to some big places. If anyone does just need any prayer. How about we give Amy a really big hand? Wow. I, I don't know how better to sum up a whole lot of stuff that we've been going after this year than that. I want us to do a really pragmatic thing, and that is um, to take up a love offering. And then I've just aim asked Amy to hang around and, and pray for us corporately. And then if anyone needs um, prayer individually, we'll have some space for that as well. Um, 
we all know the deal. When someone blesses us, we love to bless them back. Um, and we're going to add to what you give and bless as well. But um, if, uh, if you have been even slightly blessed, can I encourage you to, to, to bless Amy back? My next statement was going to be, because um, I don't carry cash. <laughs> Kids always say, Dad, can I have some cash? I'm like, ha-ha, got none. <laughs> they haven't learned the can I have the credit card question yet and anyone teaches them I will hurt you um I'll give you some church talk no um but um if you want to give online um if you could kind of do that in the next 48 hours or so that would really um help us but just um same account that you put your offering and just put Amy offering in the description and we will make sure that that gets where it needs to go yeah if you can do that in the next two days that just helps us make sure that we you know round that whole thing off and get it off to her very very quickly so awesome bless you um a message like that can trigger us a little just just give me a wink if anything in that message just triggered you off just a touch just just get you <laughs> yeah so let, let's be family and let's get real about that um, and, you know, you're not on your own. <laughs> you're doing a creepy wink. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, that was very good, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. It was a very real one. And, then, and yeah, let, let's get real. Like I said, messages like that, if there is any pain in us whatsoever, that message will just go poke, poke, and, and we'll, we'll head it toward the surface. Um, and I've just asked Amy if she'll just hang around and pray over us corporally. Yeah, let's be real. There is a buttload of church trauma in this room. Okay, let's just get real about that. Um, we all, you know, hand, my hand is up. Okay, there is a, there is a heap of it. Um, th- there is relational pain. There is all sorts of stuff in the room. And Amy has an incredible gifting and an anointing to pray trauma off people. You know, we've watched her do it with us over the last couple of days individually and in groups and I've ministered with Amy in the past and, wow, she, she packs a punch. So I'm going to ask... Uh, hey? And, yeah, 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 like, let, let's... let's um, you, you too, Alison. Yeah, if you guys are feeling stuff, um, you, you are you are welcome. Our house is your house, so if you want to, if you've got stuff, come up. And what I want you to do right now is, I'm just going to pray something just over, on behalf of us as a house, and then I'm just going to let Amy just go into her prof and <laughs> prophetic and just pray over us what she feels. And I just want to say to you, this is a really safe place. There is no judgment. We are all, you know, <laughs> I'm carrying pain too. Um, we, we are all in the same boat and this is a safe place to be real. You don't have to pretend. I'm not going to be pretending um, and we don't need any of you to, uh, you to pretend either. We have tissues. If there's emotion coming, let it come. It's okay. So let me just, just open your heart for a moment or a lot. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, I just want to say on behalf of this house, we just welcome your healing ministry. We, just, we know we all carry trauma because we've lived. <laughs> Because we're still breathing, we all carry stuff. We carry pain. We carry heartache. Uh, we cover the. We carry the pain of busted relationships. We, um, 
we carry pain of displacement. We carry pain from, from breached family relationships. We, we carry pain from, um, from bad church experiences and, and relational and leadership and authority wounds. Um, we carry the pain of just weariness and tiredness um, as, as we've run hard, um, when we felt like we've had the best of intention, but not knowing that we're, we're meeting unhealed needs and carrying idols and all sorts of stuff. And Father, we just, right now as a church, we just, I just, on behalf as we open our hearts right now, and we just invite you to minister healing where there is trauma. We, we invite you to pull close. We invite you to touch our, our ouchy spots because that we know that you are absolutely good and we know that you are absolutely safe. And so we just lean into you with our hearts. We, we don't try and clean ourselves up. We just come as we are. And we thank you that a bruised reed you will not break, a smoldering wick you will not snuff out, that you are absolutely, absolutely good. And we just say we trust you with our hearts. Yeah, so Jesus, we just lift up our hearts to you, all in different ways. Some of us are holding our heart thankful that we've had a blood family that's just been so so there, so near. Thank you for what you have given so many people here, Lord, and that there is need met even outside this community in many ways, which is an amazing blessing. Thank you for the surplus that you have given to so many people here. But Father, there's also need here, felt or unfelt. Father, when it comes to being known, when it comes to expressing need, when it comes to having breakthrough, when it comes to vocalizing in confrontation ways, uh, when it comes to being corporate, Lord, there's people here that need a family they can join. There's people here that need to borrow someone's dining table and sit at the end of it and just be known. There's people here that need a phone call. There's people here that have things to say. And Lord, irregardless of the depths of this community, continue to take that on. Lord, we first just bring our need before you. You're the need meter. Lord, I thank you that you are our fountain. I thank you that you are our portion. Father, we just bring that before you. You're the ultimate need meter. It's if we bring those things to you and then you use the bride to meet it often in each other. Father, I, I start off with praying in the, in the areas of church trauma. It rocks us to the core because we lost a family over it. We lost our family over it. Lord, we lost a community over it. It's massive. So Jesus, I just pray you would come right now and just begin to lift and draw trauma out of hearts in the name of Jesus. I just pray, Jesus, you would come right now and just put your fingers on betrayal trauma where there's been a betrayal, Father, where names have been rubbed in the dust. In any way there's been betrayal trauma, Jesus, would you just come right now and just put your fingers on that thing and draw it to yourself like a sponge. I just thank you that you just draw trauma out of hearts right now in the name of Jesus. Just draw it out of spirits right now in the name of Jesus. Even personal spirits, people's personal spirits, where there's just been um, 
trauma and betrayal trauma can knock the wind out of us lord where some people here have just had the wind knocked out of them they can't breathe god because of the losses or because of the, the betrayal or because of that church trauma lord it, it knocks the wind out and i just pray that you would just draw trauma lord out of our emotional lungs so to speak you're giving us our breath back you're giving us our breath back Thank you, Jesus, that you just draw trauma out of our minds. Father, the ruminating, the things that we've been going over in our areas of difficulty or in things we've come out of or, or things we've lost or jobs we've lost or people we've lost or nations we've lost or churches we've lost, Jesus, would you just come to our minds even, Lord, and even our biological brain. Would you just come, Jesus, and just begin to, like a sponge, just draw. I just see him putting his fingertips on foreheads. So, Lord, that's the frontal cortex where our problem solve is and some people's problem solving has just been over and over trying to figure out the future and figure out the past Jesus would you just touch that frontal cortex Lord and just draw out all the trauma and the part of our the part of us that's never slept the part of us that hasn't been sleeping Jesus would you just come and draw trauma out of that in the name of Jesus and where your fingertips Jesus is on the back of our head Lord that's the fear center of our brain Jesus, I pray that you would just come and draw all trauma out of the amygdala. Father, the fear center of our brain, just come and draw that out. Draw that out of our memory bank as well, Jesus. Just come and draw that out. And Father, the, the whole nervous system that just goes through that part of front of our brain and down our spine. And the just some of us have had cortisol just pouring, coursing through our bodies, either in particular seasons or still now. Jesus, would you just come and just draw the trauma out of that nervous system line, Jesus. Thank you that you just draw the trauma all the way out and down the spine, all the nervous system, the hands, the legs. I thank you that you just even physically, Lord, even where trauma can leave its mark on us physically, would you just draw the trauma out of our bodies, Father? Draw it out. Draw it out at a cellular level where trauma can get stuck at a cellular level. Would you just draw that out at a cellular level in Jesus' name? Would you draw that out of our skin, Father? If their skin has been involved in any trauma, Jesus, would you just draw that out of our skin in the name of Jesus? Draw that out of our skin. Father, I just bring our gut towards you, Lord. I just wear... If some of us saw IBS or where trauma's just been held at a gut level, Jesus, would you just draw trauma out, even at a gut level, Jesus? Would you just draw it out towards you like a sponge in the name of Jesus? We just release that to you. We release it to you. Father, where some of us hold it in our muscles, in our neck, Father, in our back, some of us, it's in our hips, Jesus. Would you just draw all trauma, Lord, out of the muscles in this room, Jesus, where stuff has sat there, unresolved stuff has sat at a muscular level. We just thank you, Jesus, that you come and draw all trauma out of the muscles even. In the name of Jesus. And I carefully just pray, Jesus, you would just draw all trauma out of our sexual organs, Jesus. Just come. Come and gently just remove that in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you just draw all trauma from those areas, Lord, that you would draw death from any of those areas. Lord, if there's any death in the womb, Jesus, you would just draw that out right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, draw that out right now in the name of Jesus. Draw that out.
draw that out in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you touch our lungs, Lord, and you just give us our breath back. Thank you that you just draw all trauma out of our lungs. Thank you that you draw it out of our eyes, Lord, and out of our ears. Things we've seen, things we've heard, things said to us, people missing, things we haven't seen. Jesus, would you just draw trauma out of our eyes, our ears, our noses, our mouths? Just draw anything out, Lord, where that's become lodged or where memories have been printed. Just thank you that you draw that out of our memory bank in the name of Jesus. Trauma off the memories. Trauma off the memories. Father, I just bless each individual will in this room. Lord, if we've come through seasons of betrayal or trauma, abuse, Father, where our yes and our no has not been heard, our yes or our no has not been respected. Jesus, I pray that you would draw all trauma off the will in the name of Jesus. Untwine it from any dominance that's come under, control that's come under, any spirit of control and dominance that's set over your will. I just bind that in the name of Jesus. And pay, pray you, Jesus, hold back all higher powers in play. And I just thank you for a release of the individual will, that it would have a yes and a no, that, it would, that each person would use their yes and their no, and have the power to use a yes and a no in Jesus' name. I thank you that you just draw out all fear and shock and terror and dread and shame in the name of Jesus, of every heart, of every spirit in this room. Fear, shock, terror, dread, shame. Just lift that off and draw that out in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, just draw that to Jesus. And I pray, Jesus, that you would just come and you would just put in your healing balm of Gilead to any crack that there is in there in hearts or in situations in the name of Jesus, that you would just go before, Lord, and just pour your healing balm of Gilead into every space right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you that your shalom peace come out and drive out all darkness, all fear. I bind the spirit of rejection and the spirit of self-rejection. I command you to leave where people have come into agreement with rejection and a spirit of self-rejection. I bind it. It's not your friend. It's not going to look after you socially. For some people, it's like you've got it looking after you socially. It's not your friend. It's a liar. It's a liar. Father, I just thank you that you come with your shalom peace and you drive out all darkness. We just invite your shalom peace right now, Jesus, to just vacate every area, to fill, sorry, every area that's been vacated. Just come and fill in the name of Jesus. Shalom peace. Father, some of us never learned to trust. It wasn't built into us developmentally as we were growing up. But Jesus, if we choose oneness here, we're going to have to have trust built into us. So I ask that Jesus, you would go back over the timelines of our life and build in trust, even developmentally, where that was missed. All the way back, Jesus, would you build in trust? Trust of men, trust of women, trust of mankind. Trust that if we present need, it'll get met. Trust that relationships can be beautiful and healthy. Would you just go back, Jesus, developmentally build trust, bricks of trust all the way back in so that we can turn to one another. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
As I was praying, I could just see um, this really tall mast with a crow's nest at the top of it. And I got a feeling that a lot of you were just clinging to this mast, to this crow's nest. You're all huddled together and you're in survival mode. Um, but the mast is so high that it actually sits high above the city, the city line. And then I could see as the trauma gets pulled up, it creates these waves. Um, so it's being released, the trauma's being released. And as, and I can see that you're still high above the waters, but as you are released from your trauma, as you uh, receive your own personal healing, I could see almost like um, it kind of reminded me a bit like a snow dome, but it was done in sections where it created almost um, like a hemisphere around you. And then I could actually hear the word your metron, your sphere of influence. As you receive your own healing, then you're going to start to um, have dominion in this sphere, in this region. And like I've said to a few people, I'm, I'm, I don't really know Sydney that well, but the picture that I saw was over a vast region, over many skyscrapers. I um, initially saw beginning um, this evening, it's almost like looking over a ledge and you're on the balcony. And if you're anything like me, looking down just brings up such feelings of dread. But it's like, as you deal with it, you're going to be able to step out and you're just going to have unlimited sight to see beyond what is right now um, limiting you. Uh, wow. Um, just as Amy was praying, I got a real picture of a well. It's a, it's a simple well, but it's deep. And Jesus wants to come and build a deep well in you as a body. It's not a place. It's not a place. It's in the body of who you are. It's in the midst of your family. It goes with you. And I saw um, people around and they were coming to the well and sitting down. They were tired or thirsty. And others were coming and drawing from that well and giving to the people. And as they became strong, they would go to the well and they would give to others. And some were carrying people in and bringing them in. And then they'd lay down on stretches. And some people would get from the well and give to them. And then they would rise up and they would go to the well and they would give it out. And it just kept happening. And some who were carrying would get tired and sit down and others would come and get from the well and give to them. And it's just, I just saw this beautiful picture. And Jesus said, I want to build a deep, deep well in you. As a family, it's one that you can take with you. It's, it's a well within your family. 
Something that happened in our church, led by our pastors, was to stand in the gap. Do you want to do that? So I'm on staff as an associate pastor, so just as a pastor of my church, I want to apologise to you for every pastor that has wounded you, for every pastor that has used you for how you can serve, for every pastor that has demanded your money, for every pastor that hasn't seen you and heard you, who hasn't um, known how to family you and hasn't known how to help their church family be family to you. For every pastor who hasn't seen you, who hasn't heard you, who hasn't listened to you, who's dishonoured you, who's disrespected you, who's shamed you or who's cast you out. For every pastor, pastor's wife, leader of any ministry, leader of worship teams, I'm so, so sorry. It is not what the Lord called us to do and be. And I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for your hearts. And I just really repent on behalf of Jesus for that trauma against you. It was a defilement, and I'm just really, really sorry. And I ask that you forgive us. I'm so sorry, and I ask that you release forgiveness to us. And I bless you to thrive again. I really bless you to thrive again. I bless you to thrive again and to trust again and to reattach. I bless you to reattach and to retrust and to rehope. I bless you to thrive again. I think this is the end. Um, if you need prayer, get prayer. Um, yeah, the team will be here. Um, we're happy to pray with you. But just, you know, if God's actually stirring something in you, just stay in that moment till you feel like he's taken you to a place of healing or hope and... Yeah, I, I encourage you, you know, we always talk about the heart journey and the healing journey and pursue your healing journey. It is worth every single bit. And we're always going to be on it, but that doesn't mean that we won't make progress and move forward. Amen. Bless you.